This show is supported by CoinKite. If you're still relying on a third party to custody your Bitcoin, you don't have Bitcoin. You have Bitcoin exposure and a promise to pay. To truly own Bitcoin, maintain privacy, and to experience all the benefits of doing so, which I often discuss on this show, you need to be custodying your own Bitcoin. Or as I like to say, have your 12 magic words. This is where CoinKite comes in. They offer an array of products that allow you to easily and securely do just that. Take full ownership of your Bitcoin. They also appreciate how much Bitcoin has become a part of so many of our lives and continue to develop fun and unique products designed specifically for hardcore Bitcoiners. They've been in business for over 10 years and are definitely a favorite company for many, including myself. If you'd like to learn more, visit CoinKite.com. There we go. We're live. Josh, how you doing? All right. I'm excellent. Thank you. How are you, John? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. Uh, just another day in Bitcoin land. 75 yep. basis points from the Fed, as expected. Yeah. Everything uh, unfolding as it should. So, yeah, know, just another day. Exactly as predicted. Yeah. So, um, you, I set out a, tweeted out a tweet a little while back and as I often do, and just say like, who wants to jump on for a conversation? And you said that you've been working as a, a CPA for most of your career, right? I'm a, a CFP, a certified financial planner. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, cool. it's, it's a similar sort of designation, but it's really for people working in the retirement planning arena and investment management. Right. And yeah. I, I see your shirt. I like it. I like it. Yeah, Some thank Bitcoin you. swag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And you said that, uh, you know, you could talk about Bitcoin a little bit through that lens. And you you also hinted that uh, perhaps like me, you think Bitcoin might be more than just a, a monetary upgrade. So uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know where you absolutely. want to get it kicked off today, but, you know, I'll let you decide. Yeah, yeah I guess um, part of what might be interesting about my perspective is just I've been in the legacy financial world for 25 plus years. Um, I worked through, you know, the the dot com crash and the great financial crisis. I've sat through hundreds or thousands of different meetings from institutional money managers, separate account managers, and just really immersed in the whole Wall Street, um, you know, mentality. And it always struck me as, uh, you know, maybe more than slightly disingenuous. You know, everybody's. And this is not going to be surprising to anybody, but, right. you know, everybody's always talking their book and, and everybody's perspective, it, it gets cut off at a certain point. Um, you back? Yeah. Sorry about that. My, <laughs> my, my phone is on do not disturb now, so we shouldn't get interrupted that, again. That, that was perfect. You were like, you know, you get cut off and then you dropped immediately. So <laughs> continue. Um, yeah. So you know, there's a lot of smart people working in legacy finance, but their thinking only extends so far. You know, there's there's a, a, a lot of realities in our economic world that they don't want to entertain. And and so they're not incentivized to entertain either. You know, like it's not just Absolutely. that they don't have the interest you get in. You get in that machine and it's like, hey, hey, hey stop thinking about like the collapse and the faults of the fiat system and all that shit sell the insurance, yeah. sell the products, sell the mutual funds, do whatever, increase the, the value of your book, bring in the commissions, you know, and it's like, well, why, why am I going to spend time, you know, talking about the fucking monetary system? Yeah. And it's, I mean, again, this is not, you know, groundbreaking information, but it's just, 
you know, everybody has to invest, you know, it, it's, it's a necessary evil. Uh, and, and as an advisor, you build, you know, really close relationships with your clients. You know, a lot of your clients look and feel like your parents, you know, and you're trying to help them. You're trying to manage, you know, their long-term financial plan. Um, and you want to be open and sincere with them, but it's, you know, within the legacy financial system, it's really, it's really difficult. And I think, um, you, you know, as you, if you just ask simple questions, like, you know, what happens if we have to print more money to solve every economic problem and ever increasing amounts for the foreseeable future, how does that all play out? You know, you can't really answer, you can't really ask that question and, and there are no answers. So it's, it's just a conversation that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just this level of, uh, insincerity, um, or, you know, a lack of, of curiosity about this. That's, um, it's pretty profound. And even, you know, even in the legacy financial system, most advisors don't even invest in gold, um, which kind of goes to show you too, that, you know, nobody wants to entertain the idea that anything other than, you know, stocks are the, are, are what you should be holding for the long term. Yeah, totally. And I mean, this varies slightly based on the firm, the industry, the product and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, gold in most cases doesn't pay like a great commission, like if you're getting involved yeah. in a fund or, you know, whatever the circumstance is. And so that is just indicative of the incentives of the existing uh, financial system being way off. Right. So like, yeah, are you are you exclusively doing what's in the best interest of your clients? And I like, cause I worked in, in the industry for, you know, two or three years very briefly, but enough to see kind of how it works. And it's like, not really, you know, like you go yeah. in maybe with that intention, but then you get, it gets narrowed down, right? It gets narrowed into the particular aspect of the financial industry you're in. And then it gets narrowed down even further into, into the particular firm you're in and the, the, yeah. uh, the uh, asset class, the asset classes, the arrangements they have with you know certain uh, asset providers they're working with, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and it gets narrowed down and narrowed down until like now you're sitting in front of someone and you're saying, "Hey, I'm the guy that you go to to like sort out your future, to make sure that you can you know actualize the life that you want, to make sure that you can insulate yourself from the chaos and the the pitfalls that exist in the system." But yeah. instead of looking at a huge whiteboard and being like, this is how we're going to do it. And this is my perspective on thing. It goes, shoop, it goes here. And it's like, well, yeah. do you want this thing, that thing, this thing, or that thing? And, and again, like yeah. the incentives are screwed off because you're tasked with making a decision like, well, should I do what's most financially advantageous for me? Most financially advantageous for them? How do I find the balance between the two? And it's just, yeah. it's all kind of a shit show. And, and you say like, um, and I think you're right, like in this, existing system, people do need to be investors uh, because, yeah. you know, you, you have to go out on the risk spectrum just to maintain the, the value of your capital, of your savings. And yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think that's how it should be. And in certain times in the past, it wasn't like you could go out on the risk curve if you wanted to, well, take more risk and, and potentially gain more reward, but it's not, wasn't a necessity, right? Like you yeah. could work, you could save, and that would be sufficient to have a nice, comfortable life. And if you were just a humble saver for your whole life, you'd probably end up okay. You'd be able to, uh, you know, put your kids through school or support them in whatever, whatever way you wanted. And you would never have to risk losing a tremendous amount of your wealth. But now as a result of the fiat system that we're in, of course, you don't have that option. If you're, if, you know, if the monetary basic, if true inflation is like 10, 15, whatever plus a year, 
well, you got to go way out on the risk spectrum to even preserve your capital. And I just think that's such a perversion of the way it's supposed to be, where if you want to just work and save, you should, that should be sufficient to live, you know, a a comfortable, safe life. And of course, I think with Bitcoin, we're going to get that. And I think the investing industry uh, will probably shrink dramatically as a result, not entirely, because again, people are going to want to take more risk. But I think a lot of people, because it's, you know, many people have talked about this in the Bitcoin space, but as you get this circumstance with fiat money, and as it gets even more egregious over time, you get all manner of risk-taking being exacerbated. So it's, you know, out on the risk spectrum in terms of investments, more gambling. We see it in, you know, like, uh, well, with with crypto, generally speaking, I mean, it it arrived at a time and part of the reason why it blew up so much is because it facilitates that. And then you have online betting, online poker, sports betting, like all this stuff gets blown out larger than it probably otherwise would be because there's such a strong incentive to try to preserve capital, even though in most people's minds, they're thinking about expanding capital. But I think there's an underlying impulse that they're feeling that if they don't do that, their capital is actually diminishing, even, you know, yeah. not in nominal terms, but in real terms. Yeah. Well, and they're, and they're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of what I do with clients is financial planning and, and financial planning is always, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. It's never, you know, you can run a plan and it says you're good to go you run the plan 12 months later and it could give you totally different results. And especially right now, I mean, I have clients who have done a great job saving, you know, maybe they have three or $4 million saved. They're in their sixties. They're, you know, thinking they'll live into their nineties and, you know, maybe spending six, $7,000 a month, relatively modest spending goals. Um, And their financial plan last year looked great. You know, 2% inflation, your financial plan looks very sustainable, sustainable. You run that plan now at seven or 8% and there's virtually no chance that they're going to have that money into their nineties. When you compound those inflation rates year over year, you have, like you said, you have to go way out on the risk spectrum and you have to take more and more risk. And it's a very difficult job. I mean, even with, you know, even with professional help, it's difficult, you know, with the increasing volatility of the marketplace and, and, the, and, and the tendency for the market to move in the direction of um, Max Payne, you know, mm-hmm. the market fools the majority of people the majority of the time, advisors included. Um, it's just a very difficult proposition. And, and you, when you put that on top of, you know, people are working as hard as they can just to you know, keep their life going and, and save as, as much as they can. Now they have to take on this whole separate job to manage their, the money that they've saved. It, it's mm-hmm. a completely unreasonable expectation. Um, yeah. And an expense, it, obviously, it, to hire someone to do it and, you know, all that kind of completely. stuff. So. Yeah. And advisors always make money. I mean, they're the, they're the one consistent, you know, in, in terms of their revenue, their revenue is always coming in. Now their performance might not be great, and their you know the the net net to the client might not, might not be amazing, but the advisors are getting paid. So it's it's a necessary evil in a lot of ways. You can't not invest, um, or at least historically that has been the case. I mean, now that there's Bitcoin, you have you, you have you can opt out, and, and and you have a much better solution. But historically, you know, Bitcoin hasn't been there, and you had to play this game, which yeah. is a game that's really easy to lose at for sure. Totally. And, and it's not just the, um, the added risk and the risk of loss, but like, as you mentioned, as, as people get pushed out on the risk spectrum, 
you get this introduction of vastly more volatility in, in all of these things as people are moving around and trying to figure out how to weather, you know, all of the, the risk to how to manage all the risk and how to mitigate the loss. And, uh, you know, there's a very real, and I think a lot of people that are involved with Bitcoin are starting to appreciate the quote unquote Bitcoin Zen sort of component of things. Like there's a very real psychological cost to all this too, right? Because even if you do have a nice little nest egg of, you know, three or 4 million bucks, let's say, and it's growing at eight to 12% a year, and you're relatively happy with that. And even with inflation, like, you know, maybe you're, it's, it's being preserved, even just like, the mental cost of knowing that your wealth has shot up by 50% and come down by 70% or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like it's just another thing. And wealth is such a visceral thing, right? Because it literally represents what you're able to do out in the world, how much of the world you're able yeah. to gain access to. And so when you see it bouncing around like that, like that's registering as my potential is this. Now my potential is this. Now my potential is this. Yeah. Now my potential is this. And <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a mind fuck, right? Because like, it's yeah. just, it's toying with, what you're capable of doing. Whereas, you know, when you, when you have something that you can have confidence in your saving in, then that is, is far more like uh, stable. And I think that engenders a, a stability psychologically as well. Yeah, absolutely. Having that faith. I mean, I've sat with so many different successful clients, you know, doctors and attorneys who have large amounts of money saved and, but are invested in stocks and bonds and don't really even have a fundamental understanding of what they're invested in. I mean, yeah. I think that's kind of normal. Most people, and maybe even to some degree, you know, the financial mar markets, they are the way they are because the, you know, the banks don't want people to understand, right. you know, what's right. going on. <laughs> yeah. They would love it if people just give them their money and let them invest. But it, it's a very difficult thing to, to wrap your mind around. And most people can't, you know, they're, it's just, it's, it's too opaque at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and so you're happy when it goes up, but you don't really understand why it's going up or why it's going down. And it's, it's another level of stress in your life that, and, and uncertainty that's, um, that, that, that you, like you said, it's just such an important component of, um, you know, your safety and stability for you and your family long-term, um, that it's, uh, it puts everybody in a difficult situation for sure. Yeah. And, and you, you try to shift that stress and uncertainty to someone like yourself, right? Because they're like, look, I don't yeah. have the time. I don't have the the expertise. So like, I just, I don't want this to be a concern for me. I got other concerns that are more deserving of my time, or at least I'm more capable of, of, of managing. So I'm going to shift that off to somebody else. And then, and that introduces yeah. a bunch of things that introduces elements of trust that in introduces, you know, um, well, someone having agency over, over your wealth, and maybe they would make different yeah. decisions than you, but you, you kind of, as you say, the, the system forces you to do that. And when you were saying that, you know, it makes me think of that famous Henry Ford quote that if, if the people knew how the banking system worked, there'd be riots in the streets in the, like by morning or something like that, or before morning. And, yeah. um, but even, you know, one of the kickers here, uh, is that even when you kind of, first of all, most people don't want to hear it because it's, it's irrelevant to their life. It's like, Oh, that's wonderful. The, the whole monetary system is completely fraudulent. What am I going to do about it? Like, I still got to wake up the morning in the morning, yeah. and go to my clinic and see the patients or represent the, the people or whatever it is. Like, why the fuck do I care? And yeah. fair enough, because that's true. Like, if you can't do anything about it and you got other concerns, then why is it relevant at all? And the answer is it's not relevant, really. No. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the problem, right? That people are put in this position where even something that they might uh, like 
explicitly agree is fraudulent or unfair or unjust or whatever one word you want to use for it. Yeah. And they can't do anything about it. And, it, you know, and exploring once again, how this system has a, a psychological impact or an impact on the psyche. It's like, what does that, how does that influence you? How does that condition you when, when you come to understand that something that is being done to you that you know is wrong and is being done to everybody on a massive scale, but you can't do anything about it, nor do you have the means or time or capacity to do anything about it. Like what signal are you sending to yourself when you accept that sort of a, a position yeah. on things you're, you're accepting. Absolutely. A, it's certainly kind of defeatist, right? It's certainly kind of completely yeah. like it's, it's not good, right? You don't want to be sending yourself that signal. You want to be existing in a world yeah. where you agree with the fundamental tenets or institutions of the society you're in, right? Like you, you believe they're, they're virtuous and they're right and they're just, and I think this yeah. is part of the, the reason why the fiat system cultivates and inculcates this, this sense of unfairness and injustice that many people feel and express in, in many uh, unproductive or destructive ways is because they like, this is bubbling up more and more all the time. Like the, the fundamental injustice of the base layer of the system, which I think we might agree is the money is increasingly bubbling up through all the different manifestations and institutions of the society. And people are feeling that if not explicitly recognizing it for what it is, and then they're responding to it. Right. And they're responding to it in what would probably be, you know, laying it out like this fairly predictable ways with substance abuse or with, you know, mental health issues or with destructive habits, all that kind of stuff. Like it, and yeah. not, not the exclusive reason, but you can easily see a line between the two how it feeds in. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you walk away from your meeting with your financial advisor feeling like you're incapable of understanding the big picture. You don't understand why, you know, you, you feel incapable of managing your own finances. And then you're going to take that negative feeling into the rest of your life. And in every other, you know, endeavor you might take on at least to some degree, just mm. a feeling of inadequacy. Um, I think that's pretty common. And I think a lot of people end up sort of disassociating from it a little bit. They sort of have this, oh, you know, the markets do whatever they do. I'm, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to spend too much time thinking about it. I got a guy, he's, you know, he's hopefully taking care of it, but right. that's not really, that's not really congruent with the amount of time and effort they put into saving the money. I mean, you do everything you can to make sure that you have the best job you can, that you're managing your budget and you're saving as much money as you can. And then when it comes to the critical component of tending to that savings, you, you end up a little bit like, oh, that's just something that happens and I can't control it. And, and so whatever, you know, like yeah. uh, the, a lack of control and a, and a lack of ability to, to manage that situation is, you know, not a great mindset to have in general. <laughs> totally. I, I mean, I've always thought it was funny is not the right word. Maybe sad is the word or something in between, but how like someone couldn't, and myself included, because we're all kind of subject to this, but you can work so hard day in and day out for whatever your your keep is, right? How Whatever you're earning and whatever you're able to save and you build it up and you build it up and you make a financial investment decision, whatever it might be. And it doesn't pan out or you were scammed or bad timing or whatever, whatever. Yeah. And you lose like what is equivalent to like five years of saving, savings. And it's just like, oh, well, that sucks. And it's like, 
yeah really that sucks i guess five (laughs) fucking years of your life you know like waking up every morning feeding feeding yourself going to work going to the grocery store cooking dinner blah 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 five years and then poof like that it can be gone and yeah i mean what can you do other because you don't want to just like snap and you know lose your shit so you're just like oh well it's the nature of the beast and uh and again like being even in an environment where that's possible I think puts a a tremendous psychological burden on people, which is why, again, like, I think it's so important that one of the uh, benefits of Bitcoin, that's going to, one of the benefits it's going to bring back to society is like, if you so choose just to have that ironclad stability of I work, I save, I work, I save, and I'm not even putting myself in the position where it can go poof in a, and I'm talking about like, first of all, in kind of a hyper Bitcoinized world where we don't see the volatility, but more importantly, I'm yeah. talking about your nominal amount of Bitcoin and not its USD exchange rate. Cause I think that's the better way to look at it, but you can, you can just accrue, 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 and you're never putting yourself in a position where five years can go up in smoke in a second because you made the wrong yeah. decision or your guy made the wrong decision or something happened to the markets or just bad custodian. Yeah, exactly. You know? And yeah, I think that will, uh, uh, influence people as a form of conditioning or a form of like psychological signal quite differently uh, than we have today. And that will be a very positive benefit in helping to keep people or allow people to access a a greater kind of sense of peace and calmness with which then to think about all the other things they are doing in their life and where they want to direct their energy and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the confidence of knowing that you've you're invested in something that can't be diluted or confiscated or you know all the other things that we invest in bitcoin for it's a huge piece of mind component because you can like you said you can do everything right and just be a victim of poor timing i mean that's Mm. kind of what markets do they suck people in at the top and they spit them out at the bottom totally you know I'm, i'm 51 and my first introduction to investing was in the late 90s you know just before the dot com bust you know, just in time to start saving money and, and plowing money into the stock market just, just to see it get ev- eviscerated. And then you lick your wounds for a couple of years. You finally get confidence to get back in the market. You know, a couple of years later, you ride it up into 2007, 2008, where the whole thing happens all over again. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it leaves scars for sure. Yeah. And you're forced it's into it because you can't not and engage in that. Because if, if no. you decide, well, I'm not going to engage, well, okay, well, then I have the melting ice cube that I have to deal with. And what am I going to do about that? Like, do I accept, do I take the 10% hit on the chin every year or do I try to mitigate it to some degree? And then you get sucked into that world where you're trying to mitigate it. And then you're at the behest of all the crazy shit that happens, as you say, you know? So, and and I, I think also there's a, I think Bitcoiners are beginning to appreciate just how profound the psychological effects are of having that absolute integrated at the kind of epicenter of their at least interpersonal let's say life uh vis-a-vis money um because so much of things in today by virtue of the fact that people are so busy that they have to kind of go faster on the hamster wheel to get by that they've been conditioned to delegate or abrogate abdicate responsibility or authority for certain things. So like, all right, you decide what's good for me financially. You decide what's good for me for my health. You decide what's good for me for my political views and my ideology. And everything is just handed off to somebody else to manage for me. And it begs the question, like, well, who, who the fuck are you? If you've you've delegated and handed everything off. And I think a lot of people in Bitcoin are starting to appreciate that 
once you can bring one of those and perhaps the one of the most important back under your control, as you said, like, okay, now no custody, no custodian can shut me off. No government can confiscate yeah. my wealth either, you know, through inflation or, or directly. Like I have such a high degree of sovereignty over, or over the thing that most allows me to move through the world now. Wow. That yeah. like, that's an almost intoxicating. Like that feels so good. There was a responsibility there, of course, but even taking that, like, you know, even, even forcing myself to take responsibility for it feels really good. That feels like an accomplishment yeah. in a certain sense. It's like, okay, how, where else, where else wasn't I doing that? And where else might I be able to do that? And will there be a similar benefit, like a viscerally felt benefit? And I think a lot of yeah. us are saying like, in most places, most, you know, the fiat system and, and culture and how it's developed generally has probably caused us to abdicate far more responsibility than we ought to have done. And this nexus of, of financial sovereignty is now bleeding out into other areas where we're wanting to say, you know what, I'm not comfortable being at the behest of fill in the blank. I want to be in greater control of that. And I want to be the one making decisions for myself, notwithstanding you, you know, you, you, no one is ever going to know every, everything, right? So you have to, there has to be some degree of trust, but I think we're now finding a, a, a much better equilibrium. And the result of that is this sense of psychological stability, for lack of a better term, the yeah. sense of empowerment, the sense of like, wow, yeah. I'm way more in control of my life. And by virtue of that, I'm, you know, to, to answer the rhetorical question I posed a second ago, I know way more who I am now. Because I've I've actually constructed the constituent components of who I am, rather than just letting kind of the inertia of the culture pluck off with you know whichever ones I make available and determine for yeah. me. And as a result, yeah. pretty much construct my mindset and my ideology and my orientation in the world. And so it, yeah. it's 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 liberating on in on many different levels. And uh, you know I think a lot of us are starting to. Well, it's uh, want more of that because, again, I think it is an intoxicating feeling. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a crucial first step in developing your own identity, you know, for who you are. And, and like you said, empowering that you can make these decisions and you can you can understand these concepts and work as your own, you know, in your own best interest and as your own advocate uh, for these things instead of just um, outsourcing everything. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You think people would be primed to, to, you know, understand Bitcoin after, you know, how difficult it has been over the last two decades to, to invest successfully and, and all the monetary chaos and economic chaos that's happened. Um, but it's still really difficult to orange peel people. Yeah, It's not, you think people would be primed, but they're just, it's, it's, it's very challenging. I mean, it has to happen in baby steps. Um, and I still haven't quite figured that out. I mean, I've been selling financial ideas most of my career and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable (laughs) talking with people about these, you know, these things and kind of meeting them where they are, understanding their mindset and, and then trying to back into different ideas that might make sense for them and getting them to, to understand that. And, um, it's always a challenge, but, um, Bitcoin is as big a challenge as any other. And maybe just simply because it's an unconventional approach and people are wary of, of what's not convention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I find it very challenging. Even people in, in my, you know, my close sphere, I've, I, um, I've had, I've had challenges orange pilling them and I've kind of come to the 
strategy of, you know, I, I think to some degree, just getting them to start investing, start DCA. And I think that in and of itself is kind of a good first step because um, the assumption there being that if, if they start, if they have some skin in the game, they'll be more likely to pick up clues along the way and start building their own thesis there. Totally. Um, but I think yeah, skin in the uh, game always helps, you know, you pay attention yeah. more, but I, I think part of the reason why it's, uh, such a big ask is because it, it, I mean, it really is a paradigm shift as we've been discussing. I mean, if, if the money is so influential in, in generating the institutions and as a result of that in inculcating certain mindsets and as a result of that, effectively creating certain people, I mean, that's kind of the, the thesis that we just laid out. Right. And so if that's the case, like all the signals that people have been getting their whole life, you know, many of which have been implicit, you know, non-obvious have been coming from that paradigm. And we're basically saying like, we're swapping out the very basis of, of the paradigm. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's going to seem uh, odd or dangerous, or they're going to be fearful, or it's, it's not going to seem real because I mean, it's, you're swapping out, you know, perhaps the most influential or fundamental thing that you can swap out. And, and that means like, it's almost like every signal that Bitcoin represents is going to seem antithetical to the ones that they're used to integrating and the ones that they're used to responding to and the ones that they've become accustomed to and conditioned by. And so, yeah. you know, I, I totally get it. And I don't, um, I don't orange pill hard at all anymore. If anything, I deflect and, you know, you, it kind of has the yeah. benefit of that reverse psychology sort of thing, right? Like, ah, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm super <laughs> into Bitcoin, but I don't know if you'd be into it. You, you probably yeah. wouldn't be, you know, but I yeah. think at a, at a minimum, I agree. What's happening now is well, two, two things. The fact that there now is a legitimate alternative is just inevitably, and this is what we've seen, going to cause people just to say, "Oh, like," because when there's not an alternative, as we said before, what's even the point of asking the question? It's like I yeah. I just have to learn how to play the game as it's presented because it's the only game in town. But yeah. if another game is available, well, then I at least have to be like, "Is this the best game?" Or what are the differences between the game? And that just that little splinter in your mind, you know, for anyone who's at all curious or inquisitive or thoughtful or has the time to consider such things, I think eventually, you know, you you wind up seeing what the differences are. And this yeah. is a really interesting point about Bitcoin. It's like, does it not have virtues, certain virtues at its core, which is why when you play that game out of its fun, like the fundamental comparative analysis, let's say. So many people end up choosing Bitcoin because it, you know, it has fairness at its core. It has truth at its core. Whereas the thing that they're comparing it to has a lot of opaqueness, has a, a seemingly unfair hierarchy, you know, has, treats yeah. people differently, has lots of exclusions and inclusions and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, it's so, yeah. it's so easy to favor the latter if you give it yeah. a fair and proper treatment, which again, many people don't, because as we said, your perspective is sacrosanct for many people. I mean, your perspective is how you see yourself through the chaos of the world. And whenever we get our perspectives challenged, typically speaking, you know, whether it be in, in the realm of politics or health or whatever ideology, like people often push back aggressively because there's a inherent recognition that like what you're protecting is how you see the world and how you see the world is how you move through the world. And it's also how you see yourself. And so that's what's being attacked effectively when you're asking people to consider this other thing. And so you can appreciate why there's a resistance to it. But for those people that 
have the courage, the openness, the, the curiosity to actually do so, it seems to me to be like, it's increasingly hard to discount the, the validity of this new thing in Bitcoin. And which is why, yeah. like, it's, it's kind of a one-way street, right? Of course, there's speculators and people think they're going to get rich quick, but over time, there's just, there's more hodlers, right? Just, it just keeps creeping up because people come in yeah. and they decide, I'm not going back to the old thing. I might keep a foot in there, right? To manage yeah. my life or whatever, but I'm moving more into this system because it's more virtuous and it gives me yeah. more peace of mind and it gives me more options for my life. And it connects me with, you know, people that I want to be connected with. And it's having some weird effect on my systems of value. And it's causing me to have experienced these inter internal changes, which are weird, but also really great. So yeah. more of that. And I actually yeah. think that that like the people and the culture that it ends up producing is far more convincing than dropping like a monetary history lesson on your fucking aunt or something, right? Like what, <laughs> she probably ain't interested in that. Right. But, the, but yeah. if she looks at a culture that you or people that have strong families and strong relationships and they're happy, enthusiastic, yeah. energized, you know, dedicated to a certain cause. Well, like that, everyone kind of picks up their eyebrow about that. And you're like, what the fuck is going on with that person over there? Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's the more compelling pitch these days. I mean, it doesn't help you because you're more parameterized in a strictly financial sense when you're dealing with clients. But uh, I think uh, the fruits are, are more, are an easier sell than the mechanics of what's going on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think as you know, most people in the Bitcoin community are way more invested in the success of the Bitcoin ecosystem than in the price of coins. You know, I, mm -hmm. um, it, in a lot of ways, it, it feels like you're investing in something that's like a nonprofit charitable, you know, <laughs> organization that's doing it's doing good around the world and it's helping benefit you know millions of people. And you're in, you're invested in the success of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, much more so than invested in you know the number go up technology. Um, totally, it's the most like positive something there ever could be. You know, if we're right about this thesis, then like putting your financial and other and human capital behind it for the the positive impact it could have on people all over the world, and that the good could accrue to you, yourself simultaneously. It's like, how could you think of a better win win situation? Yeah. It also, I, I was also thinking the other day that, that it's possible that we're not really hardwired to think that much about money because historically money has been something that society has settled on at a high level and has been passed down for generations and people haven't had to reinvent the wheel every generation and come up with a whole new money. I mean, that's mm. really an unusual thing for humans to have to do. Yeah. <laughs> And so we're not, maybe we're just not super equipped to, you know, to make this kind of, I guess it's, you know, it's sort of like Gresham's law. It's going to, you know, good money is going to chase out bad money and then good money is going to stay, you know, for a successful society. Typically it's, it's success is, is a byproduct of the soundness of the money that they're using. Um, so I, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting idea that, it, that maybe that somewhat explains why people have such a hard time even considering, you know, a new monetary system or the, or the benefits we might derive from a new monetary system. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, it's definitely, as far as individuals being able to experience it, it's definitely a historically rare occurrence, right? Like yeah. if the monetization of gold, you know, whenever that happened in earnest, and then you have like 
the monetization of whatever forms of money were in smaller uh, societies. And then, you know, maybe you want to throw in like the introduction of fiat or Bretton Woods in there, but the people, human beings have not, to your point, had to consider what money is very much, you know, because most no. humans were born into a monetary paradigm that was as it was when they were born. And when they died, it was the same and it was relatively yeah. unchanged, you know? So it's a good point that we're not equipped for it. And, and perhaps as a result of that and how kind of little we know about each or, or many of those occurrences, they don't wind up in textbooks either, right? Because like, no. A lot of Bitcoiners would often say, well, well, they don't teach monetary history in school for a reason. Nudge, nudge, you know, the fucks at the Federal yeah. Reserve don't want people knowing about that shit. And that may be true, but you could also see a more innocent explanation, which is like, you know, it's just not, it, maybe it doesn't seem that relevant. It's, it wasn't a very like obvious historical event, you know, like Alexander fucking riding into Persia. Well, that was a very obvious historical event and the the impacts and the implications would probably be easy to elucidate, but like, where do you pinpoint the emergence of, of gold as a medium of exchange? Right. Like, you know, I think the first coinage was in Lydia or something like that, but like when, when did people, you, we don't have any real information of when people's minds just shifted to gold being money versus, you know, a complex barter system or debt system or, or what have you. Yeah. So for those reasons, maybe, you know, that might contribute to why it's uh, not explored much in formal education. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, the question of what is good money is a question that we should we should all be asking ourselves and talking about. Totally. And I think you can you can hem and haw debate whether Bitcoin is you know an ideal investment for any one individual or you know what the future of Bitcoin might look like. But one thing I don't think you can debate is that Bitcoin is the best form of money ever created. I mean that seems pretty inarguable when you look at what constitutes sound money what the other contenders are for, for money and you compare it to Bitcoin, there's just, it's just objectively the best form of money ever created. I mean, but, I totally agree with you, but I'm sure you've seen the think boys and uh, academics at Cato Institute and Aspen Institute and all these, you know, supposedly like the, the leading economic minds of our time. And so many of them have a problem with that statement. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to yeah, hear for sure. what that argument is. I mean, well, often, oftentimes it's like you need some inflation, right? If you don't have any inflation, yeah. you're not going to get economic growth. You know, you need the capacity yeah. to be able to expand the money supply for unknown, you know, surprising emergency circumstances. You know, and they just yeah that betrays such a fundamental misunderstanding of what the role of money actually is. Yeah, yeah, and because it's impossible if you have that feature, it's impossible to not use that feature. I mean, if you can expand the money supply, you will expand the money supply. And, sure. and there's no point at which you're going to stop doing that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, inevitably, you're going to end up in the same place. Absolutely. I mean, you, the, again, you, in, you inject just horrible incentives and those incentives will be, will work on people and you'll get the corruption that they, that they invite eventually. But also just the notion that like, Money is meant to synthesize all the happenings in the market into the optimal harmony, right? And so if like if there's an earthquake in Chile and the price of copper is affected as a result of that, you don't want to step in and be like, shit, print a bunch of money so that we kind of we obfuscate that or iron it out. 
you want the market to be able to signal the reality of what's happening. Yeah. And it can only yeah. do that insofar as you have a mechanism that can't have other information introduced to it by other means. The information yeah. that the money is carrying is, oh, fuck, that mine in Chile, that mine in Chile got destroyed. And now the, the price of copper has shot up. And that forces the equilibrium to be found as efficiently yeah. and as as quickly as possible. If you just think like, oh, let's let's you know pump a bunch of money into the system to try to make it better, you inhibit that process. You actually end yeah. up not finding the equilibrium or finding it more slowly or or creating a perversion of of the optimal harmony. Which of course I would argue is what we have today. There's been so much misallocation of capital that we're in yeah. a world that we think is like you know, normal, this is kind of how it's supposed to be. Yeah, there's problems. But like, I think we're in a world that looks is a very could could possibly be a very substantial departure in terms of the institutions in terms of what how we define progress and wealth and, and the products and services that are created in this culture are probably a far departure from what they could or would or should be if the monetary mechanism was not able to be corrupted in that way. And as a result, was able to more efficiently and effectively determine proper harmony and then allow market actors to determine value with, within that harmony. I think we we yeah. would see, and we probably are going to see as a result of Bitcoin, a, a fairly different world on the surface, you know, well, and, and yeah. beneath the surface, but I think things will look quite different. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, we need, we need sound money to make sound decisions and, to stay, I, I sort of feel like it's, we've departed from our evolutionary tract and using sound money, was, it's far more likely to keep us on our evolutionary track. You know, as we, if we can print money and print, you know, uh, to solve any problem that comes up, we're derailing ourselves. We're, we're not evolving. We're, we're going backwards, basically. Mm -hmm. And yeah, obviously it does potentially mean, you know, bigger recessions and you know harder times from time to time but we're going to emerge stronger from those and better equipped to deal with the next time and and uh with the tailwind of technology on our side um humanity just has so much upside <laughs> yeah you know um i don't know if we, you would would get bigger recessions and business cycles and stuff like that because you take out the manipulation that puts more gas on the fire when it's burning then I think you take out a certain degree of volatility, you know, when the, the fire yeah. is put out and people suffer from that as well. Like, I, I think that mid-level of stability is maintained far more resiliently absent, you know, the capacity to print money. Because again, like we say print money solves problems, but we all know that it doesn't, it shifts them, shifts them elsewhere. Yeah. And, and that makes them far more yeah. dangerous because now they're outside of our awareness and now they're outside of our capability to make decisions in recognition of, of their totally. existence, you know? And so yeah. now we're lacking that information rather than having it yeah. integrated and coordinating on that basis. So like, I think that's just a false Keynesian premise that people think yeah. like, oh, we, we soften thing. And that was, you know, kind of the premise of the introduction of the Federal Reserve, right? Like, oh, we need to iron out, iron out the business cycle. And everyone's like, yeah, of yeah. course, look at all these crazy crashes we've had. And, um, in it, you know, and there's a multitude of reasons why those crashes occurred. And, and the, the analysis was probably one, overly simplistic and two, in favor of the interests that wanted to establish the bank. But, you know, that just, all that being said, just I think um, we'd have more stable stability and more stable growth. And we wouldn't see such dramatic fluctuations um, 
in the business cycle or investment cycles because yeah. the capacity to misallocate capital and as a result to destroy capital would would be much more restrained. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're moving from, you know, small recessions that you can recover from, um, you know, it gives, you, you, you'll still recover from these recessions, but by kicking the can down the road, we're, we're, we're leading ourselves towards a recession that we we may not be able to recover from, that there may not be, you know, uh, solutions to. We we've, yeah. we've just rolled these problems up into one bigger problem that's continues to lurk just outside the closet where we're hiding essentially. Yeah. And then you turn so you turn you turn small risk. I mean, this is kind of the uh, the forest fire uh, analogy, basically. But you turn small yeah. risk into existential risk, right? So yeah. you're, you're you're always going to have risk. And as you say, I think Bitcoin does retether or reground our actions to reality, right? It makes our actions if not more consequential, because again, we're always suffering the consequences, but we, we're far more, we see the causal link between our actions and what happens, right? Between cause yeah. and effect. Whereas the fiat system obfuscates that. And as a result, we're in a way worse position to determine what it is about our actions that have caused the effects that we exactly. that we observe in the world. And I think Bitcoin yeah. will bring us back into a position where we're much more able to see, clear, see clearly that causal link. And that will be very yeah. good. And as a result, we won't be building up all these hidden risks and potentially combining them into an existential risk, but they'll be smaller, manageable, you know, easier to, uh, to deal with and to transcend and to move forward. And this is the big risk, right? Like what about our current situation as, you know, human beings in the 21st century, uh, what existential risks are we suffering from that have been caused by that obfuscation? And, you know, it, nuclear war or issues with the climate or issues with environmental degradation or political issues, violence of various kinds, like how many of those have been turned from manageable risk to existential as a result of this obfuscation of cause and effect due to the money. Yeah. And I would, I would say yeah. probably, probably a good amount of it. Uh, absolutely. I think it's the core issue for wealth disparity, climate change, you know, uh, run amok government. I mean, the biggest problems we're facing are, from my perspective, all a byproduct of our monetary policy. And again, it's just so clear as a Bitcoiner, once you, once you grok this, everything <laughs> else makes sense. It's yeah. just mind blowing. And, uh, you know, my shirt is, you know, not progressive, not liberal, not conservative. I'm a Bitcoiner now, you know, I, it, you're able to see the world through a completely different lens when, you know, pre- Pre-Bitcoin, I was probably a lot more radicalized politically, feeling, you know, like one party or the other was going to save us. And yeah. and there's just nothing in our history that suggests that that's true. I mean, it's 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 amazing that we all continue to uh, or that so many of us continue to believe that construct um, because we I mean, regardless of how well intentioned you are the system, the political system we have doesn't work. It just makes the problems bigger and it's not mm -hmm. the solution. So there, there has to be something else that there has to be another lever we can pull, that we can pull to fix the problems that we face. And that lever is Bitcoin. I don't, I don't know what other option there is. I mean, of course I agree. And it, it's so, I, and I think a lot of us have experienced this too, right? Like this, I mean, it's, it's hard to find the words to articulate what you would call such a mechanism, but the, the, 
the understanding or the truth, if we want to call it that, which elucidates the greatest amount of truth as a result of using it as a lens, let's say. Like what, what do we call such a thing that allows so many of the pieces to fit together if, if this is kind of the, the basis on which you're observing or assessing or contemplating or reasoning yeah. about things? It's really tremendous. And, and, I, and I think many of us have felt that. And th this is why we want to pursue it further, because that clarity is very, uh, well, to use the term again, intoxicating or seems beneficial yeah. or, I mean, that's part of the allure of truth generally, I think. Like it, it, it helps lock things, click into place, right? You get that integrated yeah. perspective rather than a chaotic or dispersed or even delusional yeah. perspective. And I would say that a lot of us would probably admit in various ways, I mean, you just mentioned about politics, that we were deluded in a certain sense from from yeah. the vantage point that we're in now. We would look back and say, oh, like I, I can't believe I was stuck in that paradigm and thinking that 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 paradigm was the one that was going to determine yeah. you know the most important outcomes or the things that were most meaningful to me and you know this is why we all many of us refer to our fiat selves right like you you as you as your shirt says yeah. like now that you're a bitcoiner you can look back and yeah look at all the different ways that you saw the world without that mechanism or lens and it's such it seems like such a departure and it seems yeah. like such a movement toward greater clarity or greater truth yeah yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, I love engaging with people and talking and starting conversations and letting them, you know, you, you get into conversations and, and people start griping about this aspect or that aspect of the world. And and you you can hear what they're saying and essentially what they're talking about is Bitcoin and they just don't know it. You know, like so often you, you, you they're, they're talking about these problems or these things that they perceive in the world that they don't agree with. And they're just like scratching their head. They're like, gee, I wonder what the solution to any of this could be. And it's it's so obvious from our perspective that these these things all boil down to a really um, poor monetary policy and uh, platform that we all operate on. It's it's the root of really all of our problems from from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I agree, um, of course. And when people, I just say, wish it was easier to get people to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with every passing day, there's more podcasts, more books, more articles, more yeah. everything, you know. And there's so much more. Yeah. Well, as as more people come in, there's so much more creativity, right? And people are expressing what they think is meaningful about this thing in a variety of ways, and that appeals to more and more people. And so, you know, I all things considered, because you know we're only 13 years into this, I think things are proceeding extremely rapidly and it's hard yeah. to imagine them having gone better at least a point i mean this is happening yeah. it's real it's survived it's changing people's lives it's giving yeah. people uh, a way to opt out of the madness as you say like all these people that are so they're right to feel the the angst and the anxiety and the anguish that this this system is inducing in them right that is i think as we've explored like that's valid but yeah. the 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 options for responses are almost all poor options and or have been right like the the partisan yeah. politics or the you know the behaviors that it the destructive behaviors the angry sentiments like all this kind of stuff the desire or the ideology that like oh it's just the bad people are have the power yeah. we just need to put good people in power and everything will be solved like all that yeah. are bad options and it's just a matter yeah. of time before people see an option where it ticks all the boxes, 
right? It's a, it's a yeah. choice that you can make. You don't have to convince anyone else to make it. You make it. It's for you. Yeah. And you can establish greater sovereignty in your life and potentially even greater meaning and greater relationships and greater health and all that other stuff. And yeah. then your options expand dramatically. And then you're you're able to opt out with far less risk. You're not as beholden. You're not as dependent. So who cares what happens in that space? I'm not yeah. saying that you can ignore it entirely because we're, we're still very integrated societies and cultures, but yeah. the more sovereignty and, and independence you take for yourself, the more options you give yourself. And that, and then that, that calmness that we were referring to before starts to dawn on you. Like, wow, I don't have yeah. to be so invested or angry or insistent that this is the way things have to be. And this is right. And this, like, I can actually yeah. make those decisions for myself and let my, you know, yeah, build build a a, a a more integrated world of and for me and all those other people yeah. that are doing some in a similar way is doing the yeah. same thing in a similar way, and yeah, no no convincing necessary, no no arguments necessary. You you do it for yourself, and yeah, and that's why I think the, you know the culture, if I can call it that, has such a like weird, wonderful, wax, uh, wacky, rambunctious, like intense sort of pastiche to it right because it's kind of combining all that but i think what underlies it the most is a sense of freedom and almost yeah. the humor the humor that comes from that because when you when you truly feel free or at least to the degree you do and and hopefully it's increasing you can laugh at things instead of cry at them or you can laugh at things yeah. instead of yell at them you can look at you know whatever is happening on on the the news channel and just be like and again, I'm not saying we're completely detached, but you can look and be like, holy fuck, that's insane. Yeah. Like, I can't believe that's happening. Thank God yeah. I have insulated myself, you know, to the extent that I have. And yeah. so, you know, the, the, the connection there between freedom and humor uh, and the, the degree to which humor has kind of emerged in, in spirituality generally in the past, I think is, is that's partially for that reason, because you can be yeah. more lighthearted about things when you know that your freedom and your sovereignty and your own agency is not at risk. You've secured yeah. more of it for yourself. And so they can talk yeah. about whatever they want. They can argue about whatever they want. They're not going to yeah. penetrate the core of, of my freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, people in you know, lots of organizations have talked about the importance of having a higher power and, um, that's not necessarily easy to come by. You know, some people have faith and religion and, you know, some people don't. And if you don't, I don't know how you acquire it, but Bitcoin to me is in a lot of ways, the higher power that you can believe in and trust in and build an identity around, I guess. Um, there, there, there seems to be a lot of quasi religious uh, overtones to, to Bitcoin and, to the ecosystem in general um that peace of mind like you're talking about alone is is quasi-religious you know uh the ability to see the world through a different lens and to have the world make a lot more sense mm. and uh kind of restore your faith in humanity and your fellow man and um maybe more clearly identify that you know your fellow man may not be flawed so much as just misguided in certain ways or unaware of, you know, certain realities. Um, yeah, it's incredibly hopeful. Yeah. Um, to, to save you both from yourself and from the chaos of the circumstance you find yourself in. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. again, as you say, I mean, there's so many parallels and the use of language is 
there's so many uh, similar uses of language in, in both domains. And of course, a lot of people are critical of that, but I, I think I'm less critical of it and I'm intrigued by it because I don't think it's intentional. You know, it's not like people are trying to force this into being more meaningful than it is. Rather, they're interacting with it and they're learning about it and they're sensing yeah. and feeling the impacts that it's having. And yeah. the only words that they can find to properly communicate or contextualize what's happening is found in the theological or religious domain. Right. And so my, one of my big things is like, why, what do we do with that? What, what does that mean? You know, like try as we might to, to not overdo it and not overcommit unnecessarily. And I think many of us do have that, that kind of attitude towards it. You can't deny the feelings that it's making you feel and, yeah, and the, and the, what it's permitting in your life. And when you, when, when your mind struggles to find the words for how to communicate that, the only parallels that are to be found are, are in those domains that were previously under the religious, yeah. you know, rubric. And, and so, yeah. And, and I think yeah. that was par part of what you mentioned in, in your original tweet to me, right? Like it's, you're, you're kind of on board with the notion that there's something deeper happening here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how you, I mean, and, and it's not, it's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if this was alien technology that was <laughs> dropped off to us. You know, it's, it, um, I mean, even I've, religion is an amazing thing and incredibly beneficial for a lot of people. Um, but even, you know, religion doesn't have the ability to do what Bitcoin does. I mean, Bitcoin has the ability to change incentives and change the efficiency of businesses and to change communities and, and uh, to make people act in a more responsible and productive way. I mean, uh, it has these very real um, connection to the real world. And then you factor in the mining component and the ability of it to address one of the biggest problems we face with climate change, potentially. It, it, it seems otherworldly. Um, it's, it's just... It's it's amazing to me that the monetary technology by itself is so profound. And then you start thinking about the implications of the mining industry, which are completely unrelated and disconnected uh, items that both have the, the ability to make profound change in the world for completely different reasons. Mm. Um, that's that's a technological, you know, a revolution that's never happened before. Um, mm. And it's just it's just mind blowing. Totally. And I mean, if we pursue the line of thinking or continue the line of thinking where perhaps one of the attributes or way to identify or define truth is like truth is that which allows the constituent components of a system or reality to click together, right? To work, to, to harmonize optimally. Then, you know, you look at this thing and as you say, I mean, it's, it's got pristine, pristine attributes for the function of money but perhaps by virtue of that and how it delivers that, how it brings together the, you know, the components of our real world to deliver that, it necessarily has to, you know, or maybe not necessarily, but it seems to be the case that it, it it's clicking other pieces together as well by virtue of yeah. perhaps that profound truth. It's, it's going out into other domains or it's, or people are applying it to other domains and saying, wow, it has, a revolutionary effect here as well and here as well and here yeah. as well. And all, you know, you could characterize that as just 
locking different constituent components that we interact with, components of our culture, systems, reality itself, locking yeah. them into a cohesive, like into, into their proper place almost, or what seems to yeah. be their proper place. And again, I mean, that's another like, well, what do you do with that? Because that's a pretty, pretty fucking profound notion. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think, I think the, the religious crowd would take issue with, with your uh, characterization of like Bitcoin is more real, right? Cause it's almost, it's kind of tautological, like the, the greatest truth, the most real thing is fill in the blank, you know, their, whatever their system of faith um, dictates, yeah. right? Whether it's God or Jesus or Buddha or, or Tao or what have you. So like, I think uh, definitionally they, they probably push back on that, but I, it seems, and you might say like, if every single person acted in accordance with the fundamental tenets of the faith, right? If, if every single person did their best to emulate Christ, then maybe we would have yeah. a system where there was no lying and there was no need for trust and everything just worked perfectly because yeah. everyone yeah, was so pure internally. But yeah. in advance of that, perhaps where you yeah. know we don't, people don't act that way. Certainly having a system that forces you to act in that way, if you're going to avail of it, right. You, you yeah. cannot be a dishonest actor. If you're going to avail of the advantages of the system, if you're going to be a user of the system, then it, it deliver. It's like it allows you to act as if in advance of becoming, in effect. And yeah, again, like that's that's really profound as well because it's a yeah. mechanism for inculcating the principles that we've already established are the highest, most virtuous, like you know, the best way to be. Effectively, we now seem to have developed a technology that's actually instilling that in people by virtue of the benefits that it provides. Yeah. Right? So it's like, it's literally a, you know, a quasi Christ or a spiritual mechanism. That's just signaling those virtues into people as a result of their use of it. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's profound. And, and we get, you know, a front row seat to watch this thing evolve um i feel i guess hopeful and and maybe lucky to to have a front row seat it's uh it's gonna be interesting yeah i i mean i agree i think it's crazy that i mean even to the point of a new money emerging even if it wasn't bitcoin but it, like let's say we were around however many thousands of years ago when they shifted to gold i mean even that would have been kind of cool because now we have a way better monetary medium and that would have caused a lot of different flourishing in many different aspects, but certainly here now with Bitcoin, I mean, whatever, um, you know, you, you see these memes from time to time, like, you know, too, too old to have lived during X period, too young to have lived during Y period, you know, just in the middle where it was boring or it was shitty or nothing was happening. Yeah. Um, if you ever felt that way, I mean, once you get into Bitcoin, <laughs> that just washes away because I mean, I can't think of a more, yeah insane or profound or epic period of time to exist in than, than this one. And, yeah, you know, I, I think for better, or for worse, we're going to be the crew that's uh, called upon and looked back on as, you know, how did you guys see through the early days? Because, you know, this is the yeah. icky part. This is the part where 
you know, one system is being torn out and from another and yeah, by virtue of how ingrained and how influential it is. I mean, that that's going to, it, it, it may be, I don't want to be certain about this, but it may be an ugly yeah. process and, and how, how yeah. we all handle that is probably going to be, we're probably going to be judged on that in the future. You yeah. know? So I, I think yeah. it's important, this kind of character development that Bitcoin instills that we engage in that consciously and we apply it to however we choose to interact with Bitcoin and, and other people who are doing the same, because it, it might, it's, it might be more consequential than we might allow ourselves to think. Yeah. I mean, if it's not an ugly process, um, it's going to be because Bitcoin has this amazing ability to sort of get in the seams and in the cracks of government and institutions and business and subtly, slowly change incentives of individuals and then incentives of organizations. And um, I, I, I wouldn't underestimate Bitcoin's ability to fix even the most broken institutions we have and we rely on over time. And um, it's such a profound truth. Uh, and, and I mean, obviously we're still so, it's still such a young technology that we're just seeing this, you know, we're just seeing the momentum starting to build, but um, it, it just represents such a, a, a profoundly more truthful path forward for humanity and I, 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 I feel like at some point it's just going to start clicking for people, you know, mm -hmm. and it's going to force it's, it's going to force its way. It, it, it gives me hope for sure that even, you know, government can be fixed. Um, even though it, it's broken, it, it looks to be broken beyond repair at this point, but, um, I'm still hopeful that there, that, that Bitcoin will help change incentives and, and, and fix a lot of what's broken in government. I agree. I, I think it will take a very different form than it does right now. Um, yeah. You know, because it's allowed, has to shrink. Yeah, dramatically, right? Because it doesn't have dramatically. a magic yeah. money printer to just pay everyone. Um, yeah. And I think it'll, it, you know, who knows, right? Like anyone who's speculating, you know, whether you're an anarchist or a, you know, anarcho-capitalist or whatever, like, I think it's way too early to tell how it's going to take shape. Like, yeah. We will want to coordinate and cooperate with one another and we'll want to mitigate, you know, violence and violation of property and that kind of stuff. And Bitcoin is a, in, in you know, like it's going to dramatically, because so much of the value and wealth in society, I think, is going to funnel into the most protectable and most usable property. And that is money. That is Bitcoin. And so yeah. like, you know, all that monetary premium is going to come off a lot of stuff. So, so there's going to be less to protect, but it doesn't mean no value is going to exist X Bitcoin. And there will have to be, yeah. you know, social arrangement agreements and stuff like that to, to manage, you know, the quote unquote monopoly on violence. And I, I so I don't know exactly what shape it's going to take. Governance will almost certainly exist in some form because, yeah, uh, but it, it, I, you know, a massive reduction in the size that it that we currently see, and good yeah. you know, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, pitch down as soon as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. No, completely agree. What do your uh, do you wear that shirt that you have on around friends and stuff? And if so, what are the responses yeah. you get? Well, somewhat muted. I mean, I, I wear it because I want to engage in the conversation, but I've. You know, to some degree, I, I completely agree with 
um, you know, rever your reverse psychology perspective of trying to downplay it, not leading with Bitcoin. I love the people, well, for one, I want to identify people in my community who are like-minded, you know, which is um, not easy to do. So I think I, I, I wear the shirt trying to uh, get comments from other people who might be like-minded, but then just to start the conversation. And um, yeah, and it, it, it's a question that comes up with my clients too. Uh, often because I initiate the conversation. And, and when I do that, I do it knowing that there's some professional risk I'm taking by bringing this up. I, I think mm. a, a lot of people, if their advisor is recommending they buy Bitcoin, you know, may walk away with the uh, concept that their advisors lost their mind. I mean, there's <laughs> oh yeah, 99% of uh, clients out there are, are not going to understand. Uh, maybe I'm overestimating, but it's a large percentage. So there is some risk, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in the way I can explain it. You know, I think it's, it's a hedge that every, it's just a prudent thing to invest in because it's a hedge against it's, it's cheap insurance. It's a hedge against all the things that might go wrong in the fiat world. So adding two to 5% of your liquid net worth in Bitcoin is just a prudent thing to do from my perspective. Um, so it can be a tough conversation to have, but I'm, um, I, I'm obviously, believe deeply that this is very important and anything I can do to, you know, help the adoption of Bitcoin I want to do and anything I can do to help my clients, you know, navigate the next 10, 20, 30 years I want to do. And baby stepping into Bitcoin is a great first step. Totally. Um, just having the converse, having the conversation. I, I assume that you have to baby step into these things. You have to have this conversation over weeks or months or years before people really understand it. I mean, I know, I've always been a gold bug and I heard about Bitcoin in probably 2017 or 2018 and just ignored it. And I don't know why in 2020, I finally um, was ready to accept Bitcoin. I don't know what tips the scale there, but sailor. It, it, it was Sailor. Yeah, I think it was Sailor <laughs> and Breedlove <laughs> and maybe Sailor on CNBC. I don't really know. I just decided to buy it at some point in 2020. And then once I bought it, I started listening to podcasts and getting more involved with Twitter and, and everything started falling in place, but it was a long process. And I just think um, it's not something you can force on people. You have to just, uh, you have to keep dripping on them like you do with a lot of ideas. It takes, it takes time and they need to come to it on their own terms. Um, have you, hopefully have it's like, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, hopefully, hopefully it's like bankruptcy. It's, it's gradually, then suddenly people will <laughs> come to terms with it. Um, yeah. Well, but, I mean, I, I think uh, necessity is ratcheting yeah. up, you know, and that's going to be a, a very big motivator for a lot of people uh, probably before too long. I mean, yeah. you, you could even make a strong case. It's a bit late in the game for not to be aware of, of the necessity for it. But do you um, have any of your clients turned into like super orange pilled and like your, your, like quarterly portfolio meetings or whatever, just come in to turn into like geeking out about Bitcoin or none, none of them are like super, none of them are wearing no. the t-shirt yet. <laughs> no, none of them are. Um, but I, I have clients who are doing it and you know, they, they trust me and they, you know, we're, we're still talking about relatively small parts of their total portfolio. And I think that's where, you know, most, most people should start is you, I mean, unless you have complete conviction yourself, um, even if you don't understand Bitcoin, the correct amount of exposure to Bitcoin is not zero, you know, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean you shouldn't have any exposure to it. Right. It's, I think it's absolutely just constitutes prudent money management. And if, 
you know, if your advisor, whatever advisor you're using doesn't understand Bitcoin, you have to wonder what else they don't understand. You know, they, I'm not sure that they've done their research. That's an extremely good point. Um, yeah, extremely good. And, you know, in a sense, it kind of reveals what the whole racket is about. I mean, not the whole racket. I certainly don't want to disparage like the good actors in it, but as we said at the beginning, like, you know, my experience was you go in thinking like you're going to bring to bear all of your insight and knowledge to try to really construct like a just white, white, you know, uh, whiteboard out like the best possible solution for the client, but you get funneled into a very narrow scope. And then, you know, the, the research department is giving you your talking points and you're watching, you know, CNBC for a couple of more. And, you know, for a lot of people, if not all, like that's kind of it. Right. And so yeah. Bitcoin isn't in that mix, right. If it's not in your research email from the company yeah. and if it's not, uh, you know, being talked about favorably from your favorite pundit, you're, you're going to dismiss it and you're not going to be involved in it. And I, again, I, yeah. I agree that I think it should be a red flag. It's like, this is whether you agree with it or not, it's a legitimate phenomenon in the world today. It's a 500 plus yeah. billion dollar asset. It's traded 24, seven, 365. You can, you, you know, you can use it or exchange it in various capacities nearly all over the world. Why don't you have an opinion on it? I want, yeah. I want an informed opinion on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I mean, it's even worse than that. I mean, my broker dealer, which is a fairly large broker dealer, doesn't have any doesn't have any mechanism by which we can easily trade Bitcoin. Um, we have an alternative investments department that focuses on lots of different alternative investments. And, um, and I've tried to orange pull them. I've tried to talk to them about it. I, you know, I sent them the Ross Stevens interview with Michael Saylor. Ross Stevens runs the largest institutional platform for alternative investments in the world. You know, really? this is a guy who... Yeah, I mean, um, I know it's that big. Yeah, it's it's very large, and and he's been, you know, obviously he and Michael Saylor have both been extremely successful parts of the legacy financial system, um, and and Bitcoin here's Bitcoin, the number one performing asset over the last thirteen years, um, that's getting endorsed by people like Michael Saylor and Ross Stevens, and my broker dealer is still not willing to essentially consider it they're not as far as i know they're not even doing their due diligence on it so mm. you don't really have any options so when i work with clients i just essentially refer them to swan which i think is probably the right way to go anyways but yeah um it's just amazing to me that you 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 know you would think that for if for no other reason the number one performing asset over the last three years would attract some eyeballs in the financial management space yeah. but th they have these biases and um, this reluctance to, to entertain the concept. Uh, I, I can't explain why that is, but it's, uh, it's a frustrating part of it for sure. Yeah. And I suspect, I mean, that's going to change at some point. It's just weird that it, it hasn't changed sooner, but as you said, I mean, I think referring them to Swan probably is the better choice anyways, but you know, you may yeah. not get anything financially from it, but one, I think you build trust with the client and say, Oh, look, he's, you know, he's recommending to me someone outside of his, uh, you know, his world because he thinks it's what's yeah. best for me. And I think it is what's best for them because, you know, I'm a big uh, critic of, of paper Bitcoin. You know, I think the whole value of the asset is what we were describing earlier, like that you actually yeah. own it. And I know like yeah. not everyone's ready for that and that kind of stuff, but it's less of a hurdle 
than most people think it is. And it's yeah. made like, it's kind of a mountain, a mountain made out of a molehill by people just saying like, Oh, no one's ever going to do that. So just give them the ETF. It's like, well, yeah. why don't you explain that, you know, a redundant 12 word set, you know, spread out in a couple of different places means they can have 5% of their wealth in a, in a manner that doesn't have cust custodial risk that doesn't have bank holidays. That's not closed down on the weekends that won't be shut off. If you support the wrong protest or whatever, yeah. like it's, yeah. it's a small price to pay for all of those yeah for the value of all those attributes. So yeah. I actually think that it's, it's kind of good that you're forced to go that route rather than having a ready-made paper solution. Yeah. Just say, Hey, get some exposure. Cause that's all it is. Just exposure then. Correct. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm not, I just think it's unfortunate that, you know, that there's this reluctance to entertain these ideas that, you know, I, and I honestly believe that we're doing our clients a disservice by not at least having an opinion on it and having some, way you know especially if you have a retirement account it's not easy to necessarily fund it and buy bitcoin directly it's a little more complicated and and um and i i think you're doing clients a disservice if you're ignoring this asset class and and not at least doing your research and coming to a conclusion about it um and then you know eventually you're going to lose clients over it it's just it's a bad business idea it's it's not the right thing to do for clients and it's just you know, it, and I talk all this up to, to the fact that it's, it's new and, and, you know, especially these big institutions are slow to adopt and, you know, they're yeah. going to, they're probably going to be the last ones to adopt, uh, which is fine. You know, as long yeah. as, um, Good. as long as you're every day into, yeah, exactly. How do, you, um, how do your colleagues think about your penchant for Bitcoin? Uh, they're confused by it. I think they tolerate, you know, we talk about it and, and I, I, I do my best to get them to see it from my perspective. There's some sympathetic, you know, conversation. And, and I think some of them are trying to understand, but for the most part, the it's, it, I have, I have one colleague that I've worked. I mean, now I'm independent, so I don't really work. I used to work. I spent 25 years with a large broker dealer and had lots of cohorts in my office and almost and i'm still in contact with those guys but almost none of those guys uh really understand bitcoin except for one um but and that's true of gold too i mean i was always an advocate of gold and i think people kind of thought it was you know a little bit silly or didn't make a lot of sense and didn't really understand the allure of it uh just because it's outside the it's out the it's outside the the spectrum of what they usually recommend and, and endorse and get paid on like you said their incentives mm -hmm. You know, even good actors in the financial services field are, they're going to be influenced by their incentives, you know, oh, even if they're, yeah, totally. <laughs> there's no way to avoid that. No. So, I mean, um, ev every, everyone is to some degree, I guess it's a spectrum yeah. of how, how much you subordinate your, what's the right word? Like your, your sense of what's most right to your incentives. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, like, and still this, this is kind of the, uh, like, I don't want to, everyone still is in charge of their decisions. Right. So even as crazy as the fiat system is like, I don't think fundamentally it's an excuse for bad behavior, but I mean, it's just a, a reality that the more like the, the optimal, well, Maybe that's not the right way to put it, but just like the more the incentive is drawing you towards one behavior, the harder it is to resist that behavior, right? The more yeah. 
strength of character you need in order to resist it, the more virtuous you have to be in order to resist it. And, yeah, you know, and so that, that means that you're going to get less of that virtuous behavior if the incentives are counter to that, because that's what an incentive is. It's pulling you forward. It's, 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 it's making a, a particular behavior more likely. And so when the whole system is basically making those behaviors more likely, yeah, it's not surprising that, uh, the behavior that's outside of that and the strength of those incentives or even counter to those incentives is not, uh, people aren't, you know, drawn to it in large numbers, you know, initially, because it's just, yeah, it's, a, it's against their best interest, or at least their perceived best interest. Yeah. 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 I agree. It's uh it's that Upton Sinclair quote of it's difficult yeah. to get a man to understand something if he's if his employment depends on him not understanding it yeah um exactly that's very true yeah Um, yeah well josh was there anything else uh you wanted to discuss or get off your chest right now today before we shut it down no no gotta go in about nine ten minutes yeah no i um uh yeah it's a great pleasure speaking with you and um big fan of your show and um this has been wonderful. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very much appreciative. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed it a lot too. Um, you know, I just, I love hooking up with Bitcoiners out in the wild and hearing their <laughs> stories, you know, cause it's so often not many people live in like a, with a lot of Bitcoiners around them. Right. At, at this yeah. point in, in the I story, don't. yeah. In this point in the story of Bitcoin, like it's mostly isolated, like sleeper cell Bitcoiners that are still acting yeah. normal out in the world, you know, and uh, it's uh, great yeah. to, to connect with everyone and get their perspective and hear their stories and see what they're trying to, how they're trying to understand this thing for themselves and their own journey, but also, you know, what they're doing uh, in the world to advance the cause, let's say. So yeah, yeah, it's been yeah. a pleasure, man. I, I really appreciate the time and uh, we'll have to keep in touch and, and maybe do it again sometime. Okay. Thanks, John. All right, brother. Take care. Have a, have a good one. You too. Bye.